All right. How are we doing tonight, guys? Hey, my name is Stephen Rice. I uh, serve as the director of the Salt Company here, the college ministry. So, hey, if you're new, what's up, Aaron? How's it going, bro? Uh, hey, if you guys are new, welcome to the Salt Company. Like Josiah and Jensen did a great job of welcoming you guys here, man. We're, we're the Salt Company. We're a college ministry, a part of a local church here with a vision to, to reach the next generation of college students. And so, man, excited that you guys are here to, to worship tonight. And I know some of you guys come in with, with heavy hearts as well. And, I'm, man, I'm, I'm glad that you guys are here. But uh, just a little insight for what we do here at Salt Company is we sing songs about Jesus. We open up this book called The Bible that we believe all points to Jesus, and we talk a lot about Jesus. And the reason we do that is because we believe all of our hope, everything that we have, rests and lies in the hands of Christ. Like this guy who came and lived, we believe he wasn't just a good teacher. We don't believe that he was just like a prophet. We don't believe that he was a religious guy. We actually believe that he held the very words of life and that he came and lived a perfect, sinless life that we couldn't live and died on our behalf, that he was actually God's own son that he sent on our behalf to die on a cross that we deserved. And we believe that he died, but he didn't stay dead. Three days later, he rose again. God raised him up from the dead, defeating death. And now those who believe in him can have forgiveness of sin. People can have eternal life. This is what we center our message around. And we at Salt Company have been going through a book called Acts, which is all about the people who like see this message and are actually changed, transformed by this message. They're given hope. They're given eternal life. They're given forgiveness. And then it's this message that actually propels them. Jesus gives them this last command before he leaves earth and says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. And he gives them this message, go spread the good news, spread the gospel. And we've been going through the book of Acts, looking at how like the gospel, this good news, this message of Jesus came to you and me. Like how did it come to us in this room tonight and how did it start? So if you've got a Bible, go ahead and open to Acts chapter 6 is what we're going to be looking at tonight. And we are going to look at someone who I believe is like the most one of the most significant people in all of Christian like history and tradition. Like someone whose life truly mattered. Someone whose life truly counted. He lived a life that like people would look at and be like, that mattered to God. It his life actually led to changing thousand people, thousands of people's lives. It led to the gospel, like this message of Jesus going to places it's never been before. It is, is this person's life that has inspired thousands. And the life that he lived, we see that it was truly significant. Have you ever like wondered, like, man, am I going to live a significant life? Am I going to live a life that actually matters? Like, will I live a life that matters, not just like for the next couple years, but like people will look and say, that person's life truly mattered. We're going to look at a story of someone whose life truly mattered. Someone worthy of attention, someone worthy of imitation. But as we read it, here's I'm gonna, I'm gonna go ahead and like spoil it for you, all right? Like as you read this story in Acts and as you hear it at read, you're gonna find that this is not something that our culture would be like, yes, his life matters. 
his life is significant. That's a life worthy of imitating. We actually find that culture has a different view of significance and meaning and success. And it doesn't really look like his life. But let's go ahead and jump into it. You're going to see that as we go through it. You guys ready? Acts chapter 6. Sweet. Acts chapter 6, looking at verse 1. It says this, in those days, as the disciples were increasing in number, and remember as we said, like this is the early church as it's growing after Pentecost, the Holy Spirit has come now and dwelling in the hearts of people. They're giving them boldness to proclaim, and this message is just booming. They're increasing in number, but something happens. There arose a complaint by the Hellenistic Jews against the Hebraic Jews that their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution. Have you ever like had someone complain about your leadership before? <laughs> if you haven't, you're the person who's complaining all the time, so stop. <laughs> Apparently, like these guys are leading the church and a, a complaint arises by this group of Hellenistic Jews, Greek Jews that feel that they're being, their widows are being left out of the daily distribution, like food, that they're being overlooked. And so, verse 2, follow along with me, says this, The twelve summoned the whole company of the disciples and said, It would not be right for us to give up preaching of the word of God to wait on tables. Verse 3, Brothers and sisters, select from you seven men of good reputation, full of the spirit and full of wisdom, whom we can appoint this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and the ministry of the word. This proposal pleased the whole company, so they chose Stephen, Come on now. They chose Stephen, <laughs> a man full of, guys, I promise I didn't pick this passage just because it's named Stephen. All right. So they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit, and a dude named Philip, apparently, and a bunch of other guys with Greek names. And they had them stand before the apostles in verse 6, who prayed them and laid their hands on them. So what did they do? This complaint arise that this thing was happening where widows were being uh, um, ignored. And so they selected a handful of guys, young men who had good reputations and were full of the Holy Spirit to serve the community, to be like, hey, we've got a job for you. It's to serve widows. And what is the result? So these guys step up to the plate, like, great. It's all, this is what I want to do with my whole life is serve some old women. And what happens? Verse 7. When these men began to, to serve, so the word of God spread. And the disciples in Jerusalem increased greatly in number. And it says this, in a large group of priests became obedient to the faith. Like, look at this. When Christians, Christ followers, devote themselves to loving Christ and to love others around them, people take notice. People begin to say that they're different. And people begin to experience God's tangible grace. Isn't this what we want to see in our world? Like people begin to see God's grace on display and wonder what it is. And we actually see that a bunch of priests became obedient to the faith. A bunch of people who were like already religious their whole life. People who believed in God but didn't know Jesus as their Lord and Savior became obedient to the faith, believed in him, and were baptized. Man, we are in a culture that is saturated with like, like people who believe in God but don't live with Jesus as their Lord and Savior. 
And that's why we're here on this campus, to see the gospel spread, the message that Jesus is Lord. And we see this begin to, to continue to spread. But then something happens. Verse 8 says this, Now Stephen, full of grace, and they just keep adding the good adjectives here. Uh, now Stephen, full of grace and power, was performing many great wonders and signs among the people. God is beginning to do amazing things through this person named Stephen, using him to do signs and wonders. And I mean, I, I believe that God wants to do that with some of you in here tonight. He wants to use you in powerful ways. And then something happens in verse 9. When God begins to move in powerful ways through this person to spread the gospel, verse 9, opposition arose. Josiah talked about this last Saul. When God is working, when things begin to like go right and you feel that God is working, immediately you face opposition. Have you ever felt that before? Like you feel like things are going, God is like working in your life and immediately you're like faced with a lot of temptation. Immediately like something goes awry. If you're experiencing opposition in your walk with God, if you begin to pursue God in your life right now, and you're like, man, I'm pursuing Christ, and you faced opposition, guess what? That's not a sign that things are wrong. That's actually a sign that things are right. Like, that means that the enemy hates what's about to happen. You begin to pursue the Lord, and you're hit with temptation and opposition. It means the enemy is trying to get you away from what you're about to experience. And that's what's happens here. Opposition arises. And we, we hear specifically about this opposition. We're going to continue to read this story, and then we're going to highlight some things in Stephen's life. Here's the opposition that happened with Stephen. Some members of the Freedmen's Synagogue, you can read this in verse 9, composed of both the Cyrenians and the Alexandrians and some from Sicilia and uh, Asia, and they began to argue with Stephen. These were people who did not believe that Jesus was the Messiah. Some of these people were responsible for Jesus' death, and so they began to argue with Stephen. But verse 10, but they were unable to stand up against his wisdom and the spirit by whom he was speaking. Did you catch those last couple words? How was, how was Stephen speaking? Who was speaking through him? The spirit, ordinary guy being used by God to do an extraordinary work. Let's keep going. Verse 11. So they're arguing with him but can't overcome him. Verse 11 tells us, So they secretly persuaded some men to say, We heard him speaking blasphemous words against Moses and God. And so what did they do? They stirred up the people, the elders, the, the scribes, and they came, seized him, and took him to the Sanhedrin, which was this like big religious courtroom with a bunch of religious judges. And they presented false witnesses against him who said this in verse 13. This man never stopped speaking against the holy place and the law. For we heard him say that Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and change the customs that Moses handed down to us. And all who were sitting, and listen to this, and all who were sitting in the Sanhedrin looked intently at him and saw his face was like the face of an angel. And that's why I picked this text tonight. <laughs> to tell you, no, I'm kidding. They take Stephen, they're arguing with Stephen, they can't overcome him, they don't understand, they can't defend their argument, so they, they end up making false accusations and bring him before this religious court, and they accuse him of like blaspheming the religion of the Jews. 
And all eyes are on him at this moment. Like everyone in this whole room, there's probably like 80 people like staring at Stephen, wondering what he is about to say. And all eyes are on him. And in this moment, everyone is silent. And we see Stephen's speech in chapter 7, verse 2. And I'm not going to read it because it's the longest speech recorded in the entire book of Acts. And we'd be here for like another hour. No one wants that. He says this in verse 2, brothers and fathers, he replied, listen. And Stephen begins to preach a sermon that is really long. But what he's doing, he's drawing from their history and showing to them why their religion basically is worthless. Like this religious history that they cling to, that they like, they, they put all of their hope in. He's basically showing to them how their religion won't actually end up in their salvation. Basically, his two points are this, that is, the Israelites have continually resisted God's attempt to speak to them, and their religious rules and laws cannot save them because they could never keep them, because it's their hearts that are corrupt. And I want to show you how he lands his plane here. He, he draws this long message out, and he ends it like this in verse 51. You can flip over chapter 7 to 51. This is how Stephen ends his sermon. He says this, you stiff-necked people with uncircumcised hearts and ears, you are always resisting the Holy Spirit as your ancestors did, you do also. Which of the prophets did your ancestors not persecute? They even killed those who foretold the coming of the righteous one, whose betrayers and murderers you have now become. He's calling them betrayers and murderers. Verse 53, you received the law under direction of the angels, and yet you don't keep it. Basically, he's saying, your ancestors didn't listen to God, and you're not listening to God right now. And you will never listen to God. You guys are the ones who betrayed and killed Jesus, and you can't save yourself from your own religious effort, and you never will be able to. Sheesh. That's a, that's a bold way to like end a message there. Okay. Can you imagine, like, can you imagine how these guys felt? Like these guys who were receiving this message, basically calling me out for my entire religious history, calling me a murderer, a betrayer. How do you think they felt by this? We can see it, verse 54. When they heard these things, they were enraged and they gnashed their teeth at them. What does that even mean? What is gnashing of teeth? It's like a toddler. Basically, it just means like they were really ticked off. They were in, how could you call us? Like, we're not, how can you say I don't have salvation? Verse 55 says this. Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, as these people are yelling at him, gnashing their teeth, says this, Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven. Check this out, guys. This is important. Verse 55. He gazed into heaven. He saw the glory of the Lord and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Verse 56, he says this, look, 
I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Saying, I see Jesus in his rightful place at the right hand of God. Jesus, the Messiah, who he is who he says he is. I can see him. And they yelled, this is verse 57, those who heard it, yelled at the top of their voices, they covered their ears, and together, all of them rushed at Stephen, and they dragged him out of the city, and they began to stone him. They began to literally throw rocks and drops rock on, rocks on him until he would die. It says, the Bible says, and then the witnesses laid their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. Remember that detail. Verse 59, while they were stoning Stephen, he called out. So he's being stoned. And this is some of his last words. Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And he knelt down and cried with a loud voice. Lord, do not hold this sin against them. Those are his last words. Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And after saying this, Scripture tells us Stephen died. This is the life of Stephen. Two chapters. Homeboy gets two chapters. We see him enter the scene in chapter 6. And by the end of chapter 7, his life is literally over. A guy who spent serving old women food, sharing the message of Jesus with a group of people who ended up stoning him to death in his 20s. When you dream about your life, like the significance of what it could hold one day, is this what you think about? Like, is this what you're hoping to do with that poli-sci degree that you took six years to get? Like... Like, you know what I'd love to do? <laughs> is that like what, like, is that our hopes for significance is like, you know, I'd, I'd love to one day with like what I'm doing, I'd love to wait tables for free for widows. I'd love to like share the message of Jesus with one group of people and then die before I'm 30. This probably isn't what you would think of as like a significant life. The word significant means like worthy of attention, worthy of imitation. There was a recent survey done, like, um, like surveying kids of like what they want to be when they grow up. What did you want to be when you grew up? An actress? That's awesome. I think I wanted to be a firefighter for some reason. Don't want to do that anymore. Too hard. Um, Anyways, uh, they, did, they took a survey, and they, they like asked the kids, like, man, what do you want to be when they grow up? And then they compared the surveys from, like, 40 years ago or so. The number one answer, do you know what it was? YouTube vlogger. Three times as, like, many people chose YouTube vlogger than they did astronaut. These are little kids. <laughs> this is guys this is the way though like we can we can knock like little kids for like oh like that's what you want to be with it when you grow up 
And yet this is the cultural narrative that we live in right now. This is the thing that you face right now. Hey, you want to live a significant life? Be successful. Be seen. Have a career that allows you to do what you want. Have a ton of free time. Have a bunch of sponsorships. Do you have influence in your life? Our culture, our world tells us in order to like be significant, in order to like make your life matter, you need to, in your lifetime, build an earthly empire so that you can be seen, that you can be appreciated. Your life can have substance. Our culture is like so focused on what happens here on earth, but how often, like actually for you, how often do you focus on like what is eternal? Like think about this, during your day, how often do you think about what you're going to experience in this life versus what you're gonna experience in the life to come? This is not a them problem. This is an us problem. We spend most of our time just thinking about this life and we never think about the life to come. And here's the problem with thinking this way. Eternity is a lot longer than your life on earth. Pretty simple, I know, right? We keep things pretty simple here at Salt. Like, eternity is longer than your life to come. And yet our culture is hyper fixated on what will impact our life now, but we rarely focus on how my life on earth will impact my eternity and the eternity of others. This is not what Jesus came preaching. This is not the good news that Jesus came to bring. Matthew 16, 26 says this. This is Jesus talking to his disciples, telling them about what, what life really matters. And he says this. Matthew 16, verse 26, for what will it benefit someone if he gains the whole world yet loses his soul? Verse 27 says, for the son of man is going to come with his angels in glory of his father. And then, and this is a very scary verse, Jesus is going to come back, he says, and will reward each according to what he has done. What Jesus is telling us is you can find all the significance, all the success, all the experiences, all of the happiness on this earth. You can find all of that, but be eternally lost. You could gain the whole world, but lose your soul. Guys, we need a greater hope than what this world can offer. Ecclesiastes 3 says, God put eternity into man's heart and yet we can't understand it. Each one of us in the depths of our soul know that there's, there must be something more. There has to be more than this life. There has to be more to come in the life to come. Like we know that there, there is more, like we have a soul. And Jesus came to earth saying, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. But no one comes to the Father except through me. We need a greater hope than what our culture tells us. We need a better narrative. We need the hope of Christ. 
our only hope for life after death, our only hope for forgiveness of sin. Man, if your hope is in this life, your hope sucks. It literally sucks the life out of you. We need a hope. We need hope that we can have a relationship with a perfect, holy God. And that can only come through Christ. And we need a better narrative. We need a better story to tell than the one that we see, like, on our phones, like with influencers. We need a better narrative, something to give our life to. And I think we actually see that with the person of Stephen. And so I'm going to spend the last time, like the last couple minutes that we have, looking at the life of Stephen, specifically what we can take from his life to live a life that matters, to live a life of significance, to live a life that has not just like an earthly, like success-driven hope, but an eternal hope. And what we're going to find in the identity of Stephen, that he rooted his hope in the person of Jesus, and he lived on this earth with an eternal home and a future that was rooted in Christ. We're going to see that Stephen didn't spend his life thinking about platforms, positions. He didn't spend his life thinking about the opinions of others. He didn't think about the experiences that he could gain while he was on earth. He didn't think about the, the things that he could possess. No, he cared about Christ, his glory, serving Christ, finding his hope and identity in him. And he became one of the most significant figures in all of church history. So let's look at what happens when Stephen lives his life, not for, for earthly identity, but for eternal hope. We see this in verse 7. When he faithfully served, what did he do? He served widows. And what was the result of this? Like, what was the, what was the, what was the whole point of this? As, as, as Stephen served widows with his life, verse 7 says that we already read, so the word of God spread, and the disciples in Jerusalem increased greatly in number, and a large group of priests became obedient to the faith. Stephen faithfully served those around him in his community. He wasn't focused on his platform, what he could gain, his position. He saw that there was a need, and he began to fill it. And while he was playing this role as a servant, literally cleaning tables, this allowed for a large group of people to become obedient to the faith, to find saving grace in Christ. People who grew up religious were able to come to know Jesus as their Lord and Savior. Second thing we see Jesus or Stephen doing wasn't just to, to serve others and God blessing that eternally. We see him doing this. Stephen did this. He proclaimed the message of the good news with grace and truth. Stephen focused not on like this earth, but he focused on the, on the eternal aspect by proclaiming the message to those around him with grace and truth. And what happened when he did this? Well, it got him dragged out to the middle of the street and killed. And you might be thinking like, okay, so I'm supposed to mimic this? <laughs> Like, how is that significant? What came of this? He died in his 30s. Like, how can God use someone who's dead? He has no lasting ministry, no followers. Well, we see that Stephen's suffering and his death actually leads to the salvation of many. 
We actually see this, if you guys continue to read in, in cha Acts chapter 8, at the beginning, like the next verses after Stephen is killed, says, on that day, a severe persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem. And all those except the, God, the apostles were scattered throughout the land through Judea and Samaria. Does that sound familiar? They were scattered to Judea and Samaria. What were the last words of Christ? Go be my disciples to the ends of the earth, to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria and to the ends of the earth. We see God using suffering. Guys, do you see this? Like, Stephen is stoned to death, and yet God uses a moment that looks like there is no control, that looks like it's hopeless, that looks like the enemy meant this for evil, and God ends up using it for good. It forces the followers of Jesus to scatter and run from persecution. And the enemy thinks this is what he wanted. But what happens is all of these Jesus followers go into these different areas and they begin to bring that message of hope and good news to more people. What the enemy wanted for evil, God used to bring hope of the gospel to people who desperately needed it. God uses Stephen's suffering to bring salvation to many. You have to know, even in the midst of your suffering, God can use that for significance. God can use your suffering to bring salvation and hope to people who need it. And ultimately, like what happens with Stephen's life, we see that Christ is glorified in all things. We see Stephen in those last moments look up to the sky as he's being stoned, praying to God that he would forgive those next to him, but he can see Jesus standing at the right hand of God. This is not how typically Jesus is described. He's typically described as sitting at the right hand of God. But something that is going on on earth, Jesus literally stands up and like sees what's going on with Stephen. As if, as if Jesus was like brought to his feet in honor of what Stephen is doing with his life. It's this beautiful moment. And I want to I close by thinking like specifically for your life right now. That's what happened with Stephen's life. But for you, like as you walk out of this room today, what are four things that we can learn from the life of Stephen that will redirect our lives to live for an eternal significance? Number one, four things really quick. First thing is this, surrender control of your life to the lordship of Jesus. What's true about Stephen? He wasn't living for himself. Stephen had a hope, and it wasn't in his own life. It wasn't in his own success. It wasn't in his own religion. He had a hope, and it was found in Christ. Someone brought the message that Jesus died for Stephen. Maybe he heard it. Maybe he saw it in person. And he knew that his life would forever be changed. And he surrendered ultimate control over his life to Jesus. Have you ever surrendered ultimate control of your life to Christ? It, let me just ask you like this. Is Jesus Lord over your life right now? Who's controlling your life? Because if it's you, then you're living for an earthly significance. 
It is until you surrender your life to Christ as Lord and master over your life. And you believe in Jesus. When you receive forgiveness, you receive eternal life. You don't lose your life when you surrender. You actually gain it. Second thing is this. How to live a life of significance eternally is serve the church. Get into a place where your life is about bringing glory to Christ by building and making disciples through the local church. That is what God is doing all through the book of Acts. It's just like bringing the message of Christ to people who desperately need it and building his church. If your life is not about that mission, then you are not about what the one thing Jesus is about. Find a place where you can do this. If it's here at Salt, great. If it's somewhere else, you can achieve that mission and you find community that preaches the gospel, points you to holiness and gets you about the mission, great. Man, be all in. Serve. Give your life away for others. Serve by meeting a need. Find an area of brokenness and give your life to it. Number three, speak truth in grace to those around you. Truth. Did you notice Stephen didn't shy away from speaking truth to people who needed to hear it? Stephen's message, hey, you guys are sinners and you need a savior. And there's forgiveness if you repent of your sin and turn to him. You can have salvation. That was his message. Guys, listen, if you're a Jesus follower tonight, man, it is a requirement to speak the truth about Jesus into people's lives. If you truly love someone and you are like trying to reach them, telling them that their lifestyle and like is okay and acceptable and that, oh yeah, it doesn't really matter the things that you do on this earth. You are not loving them, you're loving yourself. You're not actually caring for them, you're actually caring about what people think about you. And we're called to, to speak truth. If we truly love them, wouldn't we tell them that there's an eternal hope, that there's grace for them, that there's forgiveness of sins if they turn away and believe in Jesus? Isn't this the most loving thing we can do for people as a point? The truth that they need a Savior. But what we see in the life of Stephen, that the heart of our message of truth is always, always, always accompanied with a spirit of grace. Every single one of us in this room is broken and in need of a Savior. We're all jacked up. We're all in need of forgiveness. We're all in need of hope. And we can never condemn others as if we haven't been in the same spot. Did you notice this about Stephen? With his last breaths, with people who were literally killing him, He's crying out to God, Father, forgive them. He's not condemning them. He's like, the greatest thing that he wants for them is forgiveness, is their hope. His speech is soaked in grace. And the last thing tonight as we close, man, a way that we can like live with an eternal perspective, an eternal hope is to suffer, know that you're being seen. Did you notice who was around Stephen at this time? It says a guy named Saul was watching Stephen be stoned. And Saul would go on to 
persecute the church, imprison Christians. But there was something about this moment that we'll see later in Paul's life that actually led to him seeing the beauty of who Christ is, knowing his own need for Christ. Something here that he saw in Stephen actually led to his conversion later on. You have to know this. There are people right now watching how you suffer. There are people watching you endure hardship with eternal hope, and you have no idea how you're impacting them. Stephen didn't even know Saul, man. He had no idea how his life would impact him. You have no idea how you pursuing Christ through hardship and suffering will lead to people wondering about the hope that you cling to. Know that when you go through suffering, you're seen. And ultimately, when you go through suffering, you need to know this. You are seen by God, and he is in control. And God will ultimately use it for good. Stephen was being stoned and was, saw Jesus standing at the right hand of God as if he was reaching his hand down to him, bringing Stephen from this life into the next. Think about that. In Stephen's darkest moment, when it looked, some of you guys go through dark moments and are going through a dark moment right now. Some of you feel like life is chaos. And in the middle of the most chaotic moment of Stephen's life, he saw Jesus standing at the right hand of God. In the moment that seemed most out of control, most chaotic, most unusable by God, he saw that Jesus was still on the throne and in control. Know this, when you go through suffering, you are seen and known by God, and you can know that he is actually on the throne, in control, unfazed by what is going on in your life. He knows the suffering you are going through. He empathizes with you, but ultimately, he can use anything for his good and wants to redeem the suffering you're going to to lead it to the salvation of others. And as Stephen's life is ending, his life actually doesn't end at all. It was actually just the beginning of life for Stephen. In this moment, as, G as Stephen cries out his last breaths, what is happening is he's actually finding his eternal home. He's leaving his temporary home and finding his eternal home with Christ. Know this tonight. You can have a hope that goes past this world, that goes past this earth. This earth is fading and will be soon over quicker than you think. But your heart can find an eternal home, an eternal hope. And that is found only in the person of Jesus you can have forgiveness of anything you've ever done. Your entire past, you are not too far gone from God. He can offer and stretch out his hands of forgiveness if you turn away from your sin and believe in him and make him Lord of your life. Let me pray.